WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. A look ahead to Indiana politics in the year 2017. Can anything possibly top 2016? It's the year-end predictions edition of Indiana Week in Review for the week ending December 23rd, 2016. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, we look forward to the Hoosier political landscape in 2017. 2016 saw embattled Governor Mike Pence make the leap to vice presidential running mate, a surprise return to politics from Evan Bayh, and a Republican wave in November led by none other than Donald Trump. Is 2017 going to feel like a letdown or a chance to breathe? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Daniel Altman, Republican Anne Hathaway, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting Statehouse reporter Brandon Smith. Daniel Altman, will 2017 be welcomed as a return to normalcy in the Hoosier State? Well, I think we've definitely got a new normal coming our way. Now, whether or not that's a welcome new normal or not is going to be a significantly different question. Uh, we have a governor who hasn't put much out as of right now as far as any sort of policy, which way he's going to go. Uh, is he going to continue the social drive that we've seen in recent years or not? Uh, we have super majorities for in both the House and the legislature that can pretty much do whatever they want. And so it's difficult to predict exactly how far they're going to try to push that. And on top of that, you have, as strange as it sounds to say, President-elect Trump and his cabinet full of bankers and billionaires that have, that have absolutely no experience in uh, government policy. So as far as what's going to happen, it's very difficult to say what that's going to be. So our new normal is concerning. We've been talking a lot, Anne Hathaway, on, the, uh, on this show and, and in the state for a while about the national spotlight that's been on mm -hmm. Indiana. Um, given that, that that spotlight seems to be following Donald Trump wherever he goes and that he'll be in <laughs> Washington, D.C. next year, will Indiana get to return to being a little under the radar? I don't think so. We have a lot of powerful leaders coming out of Indiana. Uh, Pete Buttigieg being discussed as the DNC chair. Seema Verma going to CMS. Um, we haven't heard all of the potential um, nominees uh, that, that Mike Pence may put into the cabinet, may put into agencies. I think Donald Trump said it when he picked Mike Pence to be vice president. Indiana's doing right, and we need more Hoosiers and more of the, the, the processes, the programs, the thing we're doing, and to look at them more closely and bring them to Washington, D.C. I think that's going to happen. A similar question, John Ketzenberger. Are, are, so many eyes were turned to Indiana. Are they going to stay on Indiana? Well, I think for at least the time being, for the reasons that Ann mentioned, but I think after that it's going to feel like a letdown. I just think that's inevitable because we don't have any elections next year in Indiana, and uh, it was already going to be that way. But when you have the highs that we've had, where we've had the national attention and you know paying uh, attention to all of that, uh, I just can't imagine. Now, I probably am absolutely wrong <laughs> about this, but I, th I think it's probably going to be a little bit of a letdown. If it is a letdown... Is that a bad thing? 
for everybody's sanity and health? <laughs> Probably not. I think uh, uh, that would be a welcome change. Uh, not that we're any that we're advocating boredom, but I think given all of the turmoil and, and surprises of the the past year, it might be a good time to just collectively take a deep breath. Um, but I'm not sure we are going to be able to. I guess I'm thinking with uh, the midterm elections. Now, granted, that's we're looking two years now off, but with such uh, a focus uh, on the notion of those elections being some sort of referendum, for instance, on Donald Trump and the new administration, I think you'll see candidate recruitment and sort of uh, grassroots organization efforts that maybe surpass what we normally would see on both sides because people want to throw the bums out and others want to make sure that this is not um, you know, a one-time phenomenon. So I think you'll see a lot more activity, and that will filter down into Indiana and other states as well. And the other reason I think that it, it promises to be busy, and not just in Indiana, although it will for all the reasons that have been mentioned, but any state capital. And by that, uh, a lot of unknowns, of course, about this administration, but I think one certainty is that more and more responsibility and more and more money will be shifted from Washington to state houses across the country. So therefore, when you see things maybe in the healthcare arena, uh, in healthcare insurance arena, or in, I actually, it's almost endless uh, or mind-boggling how many things that are now handled in Washington could become the prerogative of, of state governments. Um, that really is going to be an interesting transition and, and spell a lot of activity for state capitals, including this one. Daniel, John mentioned the idea of, of looking ahead to the midterms, even if it's still all the way in 2018, in the fall of 2018. But for a party like the Indiana Democratic Party that arguably needs to do a lot of rebuilding and, and a lot of recruitment, um, is it going to be almost necessary to see upcoming leaders, whether they're in elected office or not, trying to get out there and talk uh, about whatever issue they want to talk about, even if it's not while they're running for something necessarily yet? Well, I think anytime you want to take on a leadership position, you have to take the steps that are necessary to get there, obviously. And so uh, I think one of the things that the Indiana Democratic Party has been doing a very good job in the last few years uh, has been uh, developing uh, younger uh, younger leaders throughout the state, uh, giving them training that they need, uh, helping them with any of the number of nuts and bolts things that need to be done to run a campaign. And so uh, I think you've, you're starting to see a younger generation that's starting to work its way up, and I think that's going to help the party for generations to come. Well, we've talked a lot about Washington, D.C. so far. Mike Pence will become Vice President of the United States as the new year dawns. Anne Hathaway, what kind of tangible impact will that have back here in Indiana? I think you're already seeing it. I mentioned Seema Verma uh, as the director of CMS. Um, I think that the, the direct line that Mike Pence has to the governor's office here, that Eric Holcomb has to Mike Pence, uh, will be impactful with regard to uh, using us as a model. As I mentioned, we've done a lot of really good things here. And uh, where do you go? You go back to your comfort zone. You bring him to Washington, D.C. Um, we have a strong, also a strong legislative or a strong congressional team. I think that they are going to be helpful to, to the new administration on the Hill. I think there are good things happening for Hoosiers. Washington, D.C., Indianapolis. Um, I don't think we've seen the complete list of the Hoosiers that are going to be active in, in Washington, D.C., part of this new administration. I think there are more to come, and I think that's exciting. 
Daniel, there are certainly um, Hoosiers who aren't a fan of Mike Pence. I'm assuming <laughs> I can count you among that list. I don't know whatever gave you that impression. Uh, but no matter whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or anything in between, um, is it a positive to have the Vice President of the United States be a Hoosier? Well, I think one way to look at it is if you take a look at what happened with Texas uh, during the George W. Bush years, and they definitely uh, were able to send more money back to the state. So from that perspective, could it be a positive? Yes. Now, I think it could be a lot more positive if it's it's the right Hoosier, and I think that uh, my opinion on that probably wouldn't be a surprise to too many people, but there are ways just that by, by having someone from a particular state in an office that there can be a benefit. John, John Katzenberger, um, do we expect to see Mike Pence in Indiana very much in the next year? I really don't. I think he'll come back for certain events. We'll see him in May at the 500. I'm positive of that. <laughs> um, but I think that um, you know he's going to have plenty of responsibilities. And I think that one thing we really haven't mentioned much is that with the president, be, a president-elect being um, so uh, new to the notion of government, uh, I th- I'm sure that Mike Pence as a veteran of Congress, now a, a former governor, or soon to be a former governor, uh, with a lot of, of experience in government, is going to have a very uh, responsible role in that. And I think that that will occupy his time. And that's exactly what I want to ask you, John Schwannis. How powerful a vice president will Mike Pence be? Uh, I think he perhaps may be more powerful than some of his predecessors, predecessors simply because of the role that has been carved out for him by Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump uh, effectively, uh, well, he has ceded much, mm-hmm. uh, seemingly much of the decision making because of Mike Pence's knowledge of, of Washington and how federal government works. Uh, his his, his uh, appointment to the head of the transition team, I think, was a, certainly a clear indication of that. So he might have a, a, a bigger role. Uh, in terms of Indiana with the, 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 the direct benefit or indirect benefit, I think Ann's right. You, basically, Hoosiers will know, you know, their, their, uh, their phone, their source list, their Rolodex. Do people still know what a Rolodex is? You can still know who to, who to call <laughs> in Washington. You know, uh, there may be an app for that, but you know who to call in Washington. So it's sort of an informal or a, uh, it, it's not, it, I think, just for, in terms of direct tangible benefits in the days of uh, pork barrel uh, projects, you would have been better off having, say, House Ways and Means chair or a, a, right. a part, major party whip or appropriations chair when you could start seeing you know, the gravy flow back in terms of tangible capital projects and so forth. It's tough for the vice president to do that because then you have, for every time you do that to your home state, you have 49 states by definition that are crying foul. As of this taping, Donald Trump is still set to become president of the United States next month. John Katzenberger, is there any way predict what we can expect from President Donald Trump? Well, no. (laughs) Uh, I think we can be pretty definitive about that. It's amazing uh, when he announced uh, he was going to run for president uh, and the the way he did that, I thought, well, there's no chance. And of course, he had a tremendous summer of 2015 and tremendous campaign. He runs for, or he wins the primaries and gains steam, uh, wins Indiana, He's the candidate, and now he's won, won the presidency. And all along, people have said, well, he'll moderate, he'll moderate, he'll moderate. I think we've seen what Donald Trump is and what he will do. Uh, it's going to be incumbent on the political process and the country to uh, either adapt or help him understand that he needs to change uh, the way that, that he approaches uh, uh, 
you know, his task as commander-in-chief uh, and leader of the United States of America. If Donald Trump governs the way he's run his campaign and been in the transition so far, how much of a ripple effect will that have on the operation of Indiana as a state and as a government? Well, I think it's not just for Indiana, but for every other state, a lack of predictability. Right. Because um, nobody follows the, the handbook. Whether it's <laughs> protocol for dealing with foreign heads of state, as we've already seen with phone calls going back and forth, or a lack of sort of the usual procedures where, you know, you have meetings upon meetings just to decide, you know, who speaks first and who's standing and who's... That's all out the window. So uh, I think the, as corny or as cliche as it is, the only constant is the, the unpredictability. Um, just as John said, uh, with the moderation of tone, I think a lot of people thought, well, he'll rely less, for instance, on, this, on Twitter uh, and other ways of reaching out to voters and his constituents directly. See no indication of that. So it may be that the, you know, the White House press office, while it still functions in some capacity and still is a line item in the budget, it's really the press office is whatever uh, synapses fire between Donald Trump's brain and his thumbs when he types out his Twitter, Twitter messages. Well, as a former White House staffer, he's a staffer's nightmare uh, because of the unpredictability. But he also very much owns what he does. So um, it's, a, it's a difficult place to be. It truly is. Um, the Twitter, that's, that, that's a concern, I think, that everybody... Um, for, for and against him is concerned about how that will play out as, when he's president. How many of you would, would you have taken from him by now if you were his staff person? <laughs> <laughs> I think the question is, is how's, how's uh, Sean Spicer's ulcer? <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Uh, I'm guessing um, Republicans have probably got to be happy that a Republican is in the White House, Republicans control Congress, but given who the Republican in the White House will be, should they, with all the talk about uncertainty, be a little concerned too? Well, I mean, if you go back to the couple of uh, days or weeks before Election Day, you, there were stories going around there that his staffers actually stole his phone from him so that he couldn't tweet. And so if you're talking to a person who has that lack of self-control, that's a pretty frightening thought when you're talking about someone who can order up nuclear weapons whenever he so chooses and the law says that you have to do exactly what he says. I think that kind of ties back into the last question, too, talking about the amount of authority or power that Mike Pence will have, and it might be one of those be careful what you wish for situations, because President-elect Trump, as strange as that sounds, is someone who has made a career out of bringing people who work for him in front of cameras and then basically dressing them down in, front, in a boardroom. And <laughs> he's not the sort of the guy who, you, when you look at him, you don't think, well, yeah, the buck stops with him he's going to find someone else dependent on. And if Mike Pence is the most high-profile high person, that could come back to bite Mike Pence. Now, constitutionally, though, I don't think he could fire Mike Pence, could he? <laughs> well, he uh, could make it very painful. Well, he could make it painful, but I think he might have some more hoops to jump through before firing him. I think the staff that would be in the first line of fire. Yeah, that, more likely than the, the vice president. Indiana will have a new chief executive next year as Lieutenant Governor Eric Holcomb moves down one floor of the State House into the governor's office. John Schwannis, does Holcomb have a particularly tough job, given that he's following 12 years of fellow Republican predecessors? Uh, you know, I think the tough part of it is there's no way to point, uh, and for those who are listening on the radio, I'm, I'm pointing in each direction, <laughs> uh, so it's not just, what's he trying to convey here? But there's nobody to blame. When you have, uh, and, and not that this is necessarily a departure from what we saw with Mike Pence, but when you have super majorities in both the House and the Senate and the General Assembly. And when you 
control the governor's office and every other statewide office as a party, there is nobody to blame. Uh, and uh, at least you don't have traditional. You may have to create some, some bogeymen to, to knock down. And the same thing is actually true in Washington, where Congress, both chambers and houses are controlled by one party, uh, the president's, uh, the, the White House certainly. So it's, somebody talked about be careful what you wish for. I mean, the challenge here is, in many ways, being the loyal uh, opposition is easier than, than having to actually own what happens day to day and not be able to blame it on somebody else's misstep. Yeah. With uh, with Democratic control of any part of Indiana, pretty in, in the rearview mirror, and no Democrats in statewide office, at least at the state level, right. um, does Eric Holcomb, does Brian Bosma, does David Long, do they need a boogeyman? <laughs> yes, yes, they do. I mean, part of politics is being able to work that so that you can move your agenda. Uh, and I think that they saw in John Gregg, for instance, uh, had he be become the governor. The legislature would have been able to use that, and John Gregg, as a former speaker, would have understood that role very well. Uh, they don't have that, and as John said, they, the Republicans own all portions of this, and so we've heard them embrace that, and, and you would expect that, but now as it gets closer to January and as we get ready to start the General Assembly uh, and the rubber meets the road, so to speak, um, I think you're going to see that... Um, Supermajorities can be a two-edged sword. At least there's still one, uh, you know, whipping boy, the media. And it, we, <laughs> I mean, that's, it doesn't matter what party, uh, supermajority, and we've already seen it that's just in the buildup. Everything is going to be the media's fault uh, for focusing on the wrong things or not giving proper information. You watch. Uh, and halfway to John Ketzenberger's last point, it's one that, um, that the Speaker Brian Bosman has talked about a lot, is being careful of that idea of overreach. Well, now that you really have control of everything... Um, how much longer can that possibly last? Well, <laughs> it could last a long time if we're good at what we do. And we have a lot of work to do. But we've been very careful with regard to what we want to accomplish as it relates to satisfying our infrastructure problem, having a long-term plan, uh, having some type of payment program for Puri K, uh, with regard to solving the opioid problem. There are a lot of things we want to accomplish. So I think we're going to be rated on how we accomplish those. In addition, we have a strong wrench throughout the state. We have a lot of Republican mayors, a lot of local elected officials, um, and I see an opportunity for us to work together to continue to strengthen them and potentially for Republicans to be in power for a long time. What are, uh, Daniel Altman, what, is, what role do the Democrats need to play here then? Well, I think that we've reached a point where, obviously, the Republicans don't need the Democrats to do anything, um, not even to do business. And I think Republicans, uh, again, that can be double-edged sword, because there's never been a Republican that went into office and said, when I get there, what I'm going to do is make the place more liberal. Instead, the Republican move is always to move further and further to the right. And Indiana's a conservative state, but it's also a pragmatic state. And as we continue to move further and further to the right, those two things are going to be in conflict. And that's when I think there's going to be opportunities for Democrats to highlight that and uh, ha have start to see our numbers rebound in coming years. That could be an unusual opportunity for Eric Holcomb, it seems to me, because you're right. Normally, people are tacking to the right if they're Republicans they have in recent cycles. But it seems to me, given what's the setup we have now in Washington and so forth, this is a chance for Eric Holcomb to maybe tack to the middle and, and have a broader uh, constituency because if, let's say Donald Trump is extremely unpopular and Hoosiers turn on him, 
uh, they could say, well, but we do, but we're we're separating him from Eric Holcomb, whom we like. Or if Donald Trump is amazingly popular, well, then the co the coattails still matter. So I mean, that's playing to the middle might be the best strategy for him. In Mitch Daniels' first year in office, he butted heads with a Republican-led General Assembly. Mike Pence famously fought with GOP legislative leaders wire to wire in his first session over his 10% income tax cut. Daniel Altman, can we expect Eric Holcomb to get in, into any uh, major scuffles with the House and Senate? I'd be pretty surprised if something doesn't happen. Uh, simply from the standpoint of, I think during the Mitch Daniels years, you had uh, legislators that sort of felt like they probably weren't weren't as much a part of the team as uh, what they would have liked to be. It was basically what Mitch said went. And I think what you saw in the early years for Pence was uh, you saw some rebellion against that, and I think you saw some power go back to the legislature and to Speaker Bosma and President Long. Um, so I think that they... Uh, enjoyed getting that shift of power, that balance a little bit more in their favor, and I would expect them to keep that. Uh, meanwhile, Holcomb has never held elective office before, and so it's going to be tricky for him to negotiate the, his executive power with the fact that we have a pretty weak executive in our Constitution. John Schwannis talked about maybe Eric Holcomb having an opportunity to be the guy in the middle uh, when it comes to politically speaking. Um, could that be why he butts heads with Republican supermajorities in the House and Senate? Could it be trying to stop some things that they try to do? I think Eric Holcomb is going to work closely with Brian, uh, Brian Bosma and David Long. It's already happening. They're talking often, and they're really focusing on solutions. I think people are going to try to pit them against each other. But at the end of the like day... Like me right now on this show? Precisely. <laughs> precisely. But I think people are going to be surprised. Eric has known these folks for a long time. He was side-by-side side with Mitch Daniels, side-by-side side with Mike Pence. These are long-term relationships, and uh, this is really, truly, they're focused on what's in the best interest of Indiana. I think you get the stress point in the wrong place, though. It's not between Eric Holcomb and the lead two leaders you mentioned. I think they may be in sync. It's the stress point is between the two legislative leaders and some more conservative members of the caucus. Well, if there's one thing that both Democrats and Republicans in the legislature agree on, it's that 2017 will be the infrastructure section, session. Priority number one will likely be creating a long-term road funding plan. Anne Hathaway, will Hoosiers see their taxes go up next year? It's possible. I think that uh, it's on the table. We know that uh, revenue numbers are down. Uh, uh, good cars, uh, effective cars, have, have caused our grass revenues to go down. Uh, the budget forecast has created some concern. I think that, um, from what I hear in the state house, cigarette tax and gas tax are both possibilities this year. Um, gas tax hasn't gone up since what, 2002, 2003? Mm -hmm. uh, there's there, there's there's a possibility, and this is the first year of a new administration first year of a new legislature, if they're going to raise them, this is the time to do it. Uh, unusual to hear Republicans talking about that, that but is that the, the right way forward? Well, I mean, I think all of us are just so used to hearing from these tax and spend Republicans that it's just <laughs> become like that. <laughs> uh, I, I do think that it's, that does present a political challenge for their caucus because a lot of them have uh, taken pledges in one form or another to oppose any sort of new tax, and so I think that's going to put them in uh, disagreement with a large portion of their base. Now, I do think a lot of Hoosiers believe that we need to improve our infrastructure. We need to improve K-12 in this state. We need to make pre-K available for anybody who wants it, and those come with a price tag. But I, do, but I think that that's going to put, uh, as John was saying a minute ago, uh, the leaders, leadership within the two caucuses uh, in some pretty serious conflict with a lot of the members of their caucuses. 
while I said that lawmakers in both parties are already calling 2017 the infrastructure session, we know that sessions often don't end up working out quite that way. John Schwannis, will there be another issue that ends up dominating the debate at the State House next year? There will certainly be some social issues that will get a lot of attention because they are the outliers, and that will be a test of what we just talked about, the ability of David Long in the Senate and Brian Bosma to to keep their respective caucuses on point with roads and education and so forth. Um, So that's a possibility, and just education generally. When you're talking about more than half of the, the biennial budget being devoted to education, that's bound to be a dominant issue. So whether it's I step test replacement, how that exactly will work and the timing, or whether it's teacher salaries, raises for K through 12 teachers, or uh, just the spending formula for uh, public support, public education as a whole, those are going to be big issues no matter how you slice it. Uh, if you're a, a Republican who falls a little further right on the, on the scale in the General Assembly, are you feeling emboldened by November's elections? Are you feeling emboldened going into 2017 to push a little harder for those things that before haven't even gotten a hearing? Well, I think that uh, we saw that right out of the box with Representative Nicely from um, uh, Goshen, who introduced a bill that uh, on its face is unconstitutional regarding abortion at this point. So the answer to your question is yes, I think that you feel emboldened. Uh, there are fairly large uh, right-wing uh, components to uh, both in the House and the Senate caucus and the Republican side, and I think that's the challenge that the leadership will have is to ensure that, that they can stay on task while trying to satisfy the more conservative members. Well, we'll find out coming up if we're all correct in our predictions. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Daniel Altman, Republican Anne Hathaway, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash IWIR, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. We hope you all have a good holiday, and join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.